All right, well, it's so good to be with you tonight as we continue in our series called Identity. And if you're with us at all over the last couple of weeks, you know we're talking about this because what God has done for our lives is so much more than a get out of jail free card when we die. It's not just God doesn't just change our eternal destiny when we place our faith in him, but he transforms who we are right now on this world and he continues to transform us even down to who we really are and how we view ourselves in this world. And so we're going through different um, topics in the New Testament and different passages of scripture that deal with this idea of if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, now how should we see ourselves in light of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ? Well, I don't know about you, but I played high school sports when I was growing up in high school. Did anyone else play high school sports? Don't be shy. Raise your hands. All right, there we go. Lots of us played high school sports uh, when we were in that age of life. And like many of you, perhaps, one of the sports that I played a lot was I played high school basketball. And I played that uh, throughout my my whole time. My career was uh, very... uh, not famous, if you could say that. Right? No, no one knows anything about it, and for good reason. But the main sport that I actually focused on when I was in high school was mountain biking. Now, you may think, well, I, that wasn't an option at my school. Well, it, it isn't, and it wasn't at mine either. But I grew up in a family that raced bikes. And so in high school, my primary focus was racing mountain bikes throughout, especially the spring, summer, and fall season um, of races all over, actually, the Midwest. And even I traveled all over the country and got to race. And my last several years of high school, I was actually a part of a team Not a high school team, but a team that was in the the city where I lived, and I was sponsored to be a part of that team. Well, there were certain requirements and certain things that were asked of us who were part of the team there. The the salary was not glamorous. It was zero dollars, all right? You weren't in it for the money. But you got some deals on some bikes and you, were, you had to do some certain things and show up. But one of the obligations that each of us had who were part of the team was that we were asked every time we were out, not just racing, but out riding our bikes, that we would wear our jerseys all over every time we wore. This is actually one of the jerseys that I wore when I was in high school. I still have it to this day, all right? So that was my team city bike shop in Traverse City, Michigan, is where I, where I raced from. Now you may wonder, why did they have you wear this shirt everywhere you went when you were outside on a bike? Was there something magical about the shirt that made you go faster? Did it make you look good? I would say yes, it did make me look good, all right? But, but that's not why. Because as part of the team, one of the things that we were seeing is you were an ambassador for the bike shop. Meaning that when you would go out and when you would ride through the woods, you would see other people and they would see the look of this bike shop and think to themselves, huh, I guess if something breaks, maybe I should go there to fix it. As we'd be out on the roads and you would get driven by hundreds and and maybe thousands of cars would drive by you over the course of the time, they would constantly see these jerseys and the more jerseys that were out there that it reflected the shop so people wanted to do it because it would increase their business. It also meant that if I was out for a training ride and I saw someone off at the side of the road with a flat tire and I had this jersey on, should I just blow right by them? 
Or should I stop and see if they need help fixing it? Because it actually didn't just be something that you represented, but it changed your day-to-day behavior and actually how you conducted yourself when you were wearing it. Because you saw, I saw myself not just as an athlete, but actually as an ambassador for something else. In God's word, he says that if we have become the new creation in Jesus, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, you are an ambassador to this world for Jesus. It's not something special. It's not a a title for a pastor or for a missionary or for super Christians, but for every person who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ, you are called now to be an ambassador to the world, an ambassador of Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles tonight, would you open them with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to dive into this passage, and we're going to look at a few others as well that that have this concept and this idea. And as we dive in together, we're going to look at at responsibilities that we have if we are an ambassador for Christ. If that's what God has called us to be, then how should we live in this world? And so it says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 18. He's looking back at all that was done to us to become the new creation in Jesus. And he says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The first responsibility that we have as ambassadors for Christ, as people who represent Jesus to this world, the first responsibility that each of us have is we have been entrusted with the gospel. We have been entrusted with the gospel. The gospel, it's a word we use a lot at church, but the gospel is the good news. The good news of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And God has entrusted that message of all that has happened, all that is available through Jesus Christ, the good news. He's entrusted that to individuals like you and me. See, even this idea of something entrusted to someone else conveys the great sense of worth and value that the gospel has. Right? You don't entrust something to someone that doesn't really matter and you don't care about. You entrust something of great value and worth. And this is seen throughout the New Testament, this idea of the gospel, of the ministry of what Jesus has done being entrusted to us to then pass along to other people. Paul picked up this idea several different times, not only here in 2 Corinthians 5, but in his writings throughout the New Testament. In fact, he views his ministry such as this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. He says this, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. 
And we see here in verse 19, as we just read, that God has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. And there's this pattern throughout Paul's life that that he sees that God has given him this message that he was entrusted with the gospel. But it wasn't just something that Paul had specific to him because he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. In fact, we see this pattern in the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is at the end of Paul's life. It's probably the last letter he wrote to one of the men who would come alongside after him and train up the next leaders, the next representatives of Jesus in the world. And in that book, in those first two chapters, Paul says, the gospel has been entrusted to me. He says, Timothy, I've entrusted it to you. And now your responsibility is to find people worthy of the calling and entrust the gospel to them so that it will continue to pass along to one another. That the gospel has been entrusted to you and to I. The the phrase that some translations use for this idea of being entrusted is it says, to guard the deposit given to us. To guard the deposit given. In, In those times, this word would be the most valuable thing you have in your house that you would ask someone to watch while you're gone. And so if you rewind yourself and think back to 2,000 years ago, if you needed to leave your home and go visit a friend or a family member, there were no banks. There was nothing that we have to think of a modern banking system. All of your valuables were typically held within your house. And so you would ask someone to come and you would entrust them with the most valuable things of your house so that when you returned, that they were still there and they were still in good keeping. We still kind of have this idea of we entrust valuable things to others to guard them for us. I know I've seen this idea come up a lot in my life when I get to take, which I've had several times, the ability to take high school kids out of the country to serve on mission trips which is, I think, one of the greatest experiences that I get to see young people really thrive into all God has made them to be and to step up and to serve others. But I always love the last interactions that I have with mom and dads at the airport before we're like about to leave, sometimes for two and a half weeks with their precious 15, 16, 17-year-olds. It's like they look at me and then they look at their kid and they look at me and they're like, bring them back bring them back. I'm like, oh, I know. Oh, I know. Which is why if you ask most of the kids who have gone with me, they think I'm like no fun, like person on the trip. I remember in one trip, we were in the Dominican Republic working with some Moody Church missionaries who are stationed there, just doing some incredible work there. And our kids had this great idea. It was like 10 o'clock at night. The gates were locked and shut. That should say something about like where we were saying they needed to have gates locked, shut. And they were like, oh, hey, hey, Michael, can we climb over the gates and run into town? We're hungry. And I was like, no. And they're like, come on. You want to have no fun. And I'm like, do you know what would happen to me if I go home without you and your parents ask what happened? And be like, well, it was like 10 at night. They were on at ice cream. So I was just like, sure, go off. Random down, run down the streets of this random. Why, did, why would I be so strict on those trips? Because I was entrusted with their parents' most valuable possession, their children. And I had to take that seriously. And it changed how I interacted with them because I was entrusted with something of utmost value and worth. 
As followers of Jesus Christ, we have been entrusted with the gospel of utmost value and worth. What Jesus has done for us in this world has been entrusted, and this message has been given to you and to me. This idea of the gospel being entrusted to us was something that was driven into my head over and over and over when I was in seminary. And our, my Greek professor, Dr. Yarbrough, almost weekly, maybe weekly, as we would be studying at 7.15 in the morning through New Testament Greek, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, I don't understand this. This is so hard. And this idea comes, why do we need to do this? He would always say, we study the Bible so much, and we care about it so much because we have been entrusted with the gospel. And in fact, the school I went to, Trinity International University or Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, I think we have the picture here of the logo. That's their key phrase. If you don't know Greek, I don't often use Greek, but that's underneath where it says TEDS. It says, Pistuthion ta euangelion, entrusted with the gospel. And their mission, which, which was just drilled into my head, is why do we care so much about God's word? Why do we study it so much? Why do we care about theology? Why do we make sure that our lives are in line with the Bible? Because you and I have been entrusted with this. God has entrusted to his people the gospel. And it's of utmost value and worth. So that's why we take such care in studying it and reading it and knowing what it says. Because you and I, as ambassadors of Christ, have been entrusted with the good news of what Jesus has done for us. The second responsibility that we have as ambassadors of Christ is that we are sent with God's authority. That we are sent with God's authority. The New Testament is filled with ideas that people who are followers of Jesus Christ are people who are sent out into the world. The Gospel of John, I, I love this, this idea that Jesus, after he's died, he rises again from the dead. He appears to the disciples. The first time he appears to them, he shows up and twice he says, peace be with you. And then he has to say it again, right? Like the disciples were like not getting it. They're like going crazy, right? Like here he is, he's alive from the dead. I think you and I would probably be the same way. And Jesus is like, peace again. And then he says this, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Just as God sent me down to you, so now I am sending you out into the world. And as God's people, we are sent into the world. An ambassador doesn't stay in his home country. She doesn't go where she is from. An ambassador is sent out into the world. And as followers of Jesus Christ, it's not enough just to represent God within these four walls. That's easy. It's easy here to open our Bibles. It's easy here to praise Jesus. But we're sent people, meaning when we leave the gathered body of Christ and go out into the world, we're still sent out by God to represent him wherever he's placed us. But as we go, we're sent with God's authority to the world. This idea comes from many places in Matthew chapter 28, which is known as the Great Commission as Jesus sends his disciples out. He says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God has been given all authority to Jesus, and he sends us out with God's authority to the world. So what does it mean to be sent with God's authority? What does it mean to be sent out into this world to represent him with God behind us, giving us the authority that he has? Because sometimes we use that authority in a way that God was never meant for it to be. Because we think that means we can just go around and boss people around and yell at people and tell them they have it wrong because that's how we think authoritative figures do. Let's think about how Jesus used the authority that he was given when he was sent here. And the, the authority that Jesus gives us when he sends us out. So what does it look like to live in this world being sent with God's authority? This first is that we are empowered by God to do this. As we are sent out into the world, we we aren't sent out and then it's like God's like, well, good luck out there. But God's authority goes with us and God empowers us to represent and live for him in this world. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells the disciples this, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God's power has come not just to his disciples, but to any and all of us who have received the Holy Spirit. And as we are sent out, we are not sent out to do a task that we aren't able to do. Because as we leave this place and we think of what does it look like to be an ambassador for Christ at my home? What does it mean to be an ambassador for Christ where I work? God's power goes with us there because God's Holy Spirit, he himself lives within us and goes with us there. So God calls us to this task of being an ambassador and he empowers us to do it. But he empowers us to what? Empowered by God to serve others. With God's authority, we are empowered by God to serve others. Because this is how Jesus used his power. This is how Jesus used his authority. And so it's as an ambassador of God, of Christ, that's how we are to use our authority as well. I love this in John chapter 13. It's near the end of Jesus's life. It's right before he goes to the cross. It says this, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. And he had come from God and would return to God. It sets up a story in the Gospel of John. And it starts by, by making sure we understand this. Jesus, some translations say Jesus had been given all things. All things. All authority over everything. And we think, man, if Jesus was given authority over everything, what does he do? I know if I had authority everything, what I think I would want to do, but what does Jesus do? And Jesus, given all authority over him, gets up, he's at a meal with his disciples, and he takes off his outer cloak, and he puts a towel around his waist, and he gets down, and he washes their feet. He washes the disciples' feet. All authority given to him, Jesus uses that authority to serve others. To serve others. This foot washing was something that in their culture, it wasn't just that a servant would do, but a Gentile servant. It was too low for any Jew to do. It was a Gentile servant would come 
and wash the feet. That wasn't something that a Jew would do, let alone the rabbi, the teacher, Jesus himself. But all authority had been given to Jesus and he used that to serve the people around him. One of the people's feet that he washed was Judas, who just a few hours later would go and betray him. So you may think, okay, I'll I'll serve people, but I get to pick and choose who I get empowered by God to go serve. Jesus says, no, you you are called by me to go and to serve others, to serve. That's the kind of authority God has given us in this world. Empowered by God, not to hold on to things, not to hit people over the head with how much better we are, but we are empowered by God to go out into this world to serve those around us. The third responsibility that we have as ambassadors for Christ is this idea that we are to represent another kingdom. We are entrusted with the gospel. We are sent out with God's authority into the world. And then as we are out in the world, we are to represent another kingdom. See, if we think of it now, this idea of who are ambassadors, they are people who live in a foreign land representing someone else. They they live in a place that isn't their home, but they represent someone else. Jesus says this so clearly throughout the New Testament, that his kingdom, what he is about, is not this world and the things of this world. In the Gospel of John chapter 18, Jesus answered, it says to him, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus's kingdom that we are now ambassadors of is not of this world, meaning it doesn't portray the values. It doesn't portray the things that this world would say we need to seek after, but instead Jesus's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's a heavenly kingdom. It's not the kingdom of this world that we so often fall into. And so we represent, as an ambassadors of Jesus Christ, something different from the world. Have you ever gone somewhere, most likely outside of the country, although there are certainly places inside the country that feel a lot different than Chicago, and you just found that you always just felt a little bit off no matter where you were? For me, this happened, and it was um, one of the favorite trips that I've ever gotten to take, that, that my wife and I a few years ago traveled to New Zealand. Way, it's, a long, it's a long airplane ride, but it's definitely worth it when you get there. And it was the first time that I had ever been in a country, and, and at least driven in a country, where you drive on the left side of the road. Uh, not the wrong side, it's just the other side, right? The left side of the road, if anyone's here from the UK. All right? And it's not the wrong side, it's just the left side of the road. And the first time you, you, I got, we got off the airport, of course, you haven't like, you don't know what day it is, let alone what hour it is, right? You're so confused. And then you get in this car, now, I, have, I, I love to drive. Like, I love road trips. I, I, in high school one time, drove from Florida almost all the way to Michigan by, like, with my family. Like, just let me drive forever. I love to drive. I don't think about driving, right? You get in the car, and none of you think, okay, where's the ignition? Where's the gas pedal? Which way do I need to look? You just, you naturally do it. It's a part of your world. But suddenly, when you're, you're on the other side, you're like, okay, which, which way are the cars coming from? You're like, honey, which way do I need to look right now? 
Like half the time as we would go to get in the car, we'd get in the wrong side, right? We'd get in and be like, oh, the steering wheel's over there. We need to switch sides. Like, let's get, let's get out and switch. And we were there for over two weeks. We drove somewhere every single day. And still, almost every single time I was in the car, I kept thinking to myself, am I on the right side of the road right now? Am I going to get, okay, okay, we're good. We're good. Because there was this idea that no matter what it was like, there was just this unsettledness always, constantly, that this isn't, this isn't what I was made for. This isn't what, what home is. And for me, every time that I've traveled internationally, and I love to travel all over the world, but every time I've stepped foot back inside the U.S., you're kind of like, I just am like, I'm home. I'm home. This, this I'm home. I can like use a dollar bill, I can use my credit card, I can take my phone off of airplane mode, right? I'm, I'm home and there's something calming about it. But we feel this tension when we're not there. That's the kind of tension that you and I should be living with every single day. Because we represent another kingdom, meaning that this world is not our home. This world is not our home. And we should feel attention constantly in our lives, daily, about the values and the things that are around us, that, that are naturally pulled to us, but we represent another kingdom. And this place isn't our home. And so sometimes life will just feel a little different. It will feel like it's just unsettled sometimes. Because we're looking forward to the day when we will be home, when we will be in the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus returns or we meet him there. That is our home. But until that day, we represent this kingdom in our world. So often, the things that we're chasing after are the things of this world, not the things of our home. We're not representing another kingdom, but we're living to the values of this kingdom. And sometimes we feel uh, stuck in our spiritual lives and we don't know why. And so often it's because instead of living for the values of the kingdom of God and representing him here well to our world, we're just sliding in and being comfortable with the world around us. If it's your goal to feel at home here in the world, that's not what God has called you to. God has called you to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That you will be pushing against what the world says you should value, you should trust, what you should be spending your time, your money, your attention, your affection on. Because what the world values is not what God values. And you represent another kingdom. You represent Jesus into this world. The fourth responsibility that God has given to us as ambassadors of Jesus Christ is the responsibility to proclaim our King's message. The responsibility to proclaim our King's message. It says this in, first, sorry, in 2 Corinthians 5 verses 19. It says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. This is the message that we have to bring to others. That in Jesus, God reconciled the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. Trespasses is, is a word used for not just sins that they didn't realize, but active sins. Sins that people know they have committed against God. But then he has entrusted to us this message of reconciliation. It says in, in verse 20 and 21, 
that therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through who? Through us. Through us. See, when an ambassador for this country goes out to another nation throughout the world, they don't go and get to make up what they're going to say when they get there. No, they're told by the White House. They're told, here, you're going to go and this is the message you are going to deliver. You represent the United States and you're going here and this is the message. They don't get to make up on the fly what they want to be about. They're told by their king, or in this case the White House, or the government, what they are to do. As ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we don't get to make up the message. God has given to us the message. It's our job to proclaim this message to others. And as Paul put it this way, we implore people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Paul uses this phrase throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, and especially here in chapter 5, of reconciliation. It's this idea of a personal relationship being broken. And when Paul talks about that we need to be reconciled to God, it's not as if God did something to break the relationship, but it was our sin. It was our trespasses, it was our wrongdoing that broke the relationship that we had with God. And how can that personal relationship with God be made whole? How can it be made new? The message of the gospel that we are to proclaim to this world is that in Jesus, and only in Jesus, can we be reconciled to God. Can this personal relationship with God be made whole again? How has Jesus done this? How has God reconciled something that was irreconcilable? He says this in verse 21. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's an idea summarized here in verse 21 of what theologians call double imputation. Now that sounds painful. I didn't say double amputation. All right, calm down. We're not chopping anyone's arms off tonight. Double imputation. All right. And what it means is this. This is good theology. Double imputation is this, that our sin, our sin, the wrong that we had done was placed on Jesus. Jesus became sin who knew no sin. He was perfect. He was righteous. He had done nothing wrong. He is holy. But our sin on the cross was placed, it was imputed, it was placed upon Jesus Christ. That's the first imputation. But what's the second part? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So our sin was placed on Jesus. Jesus' righteousness is now placed on us. That not only have we gotten rid of our sin to Jesus, but then the righteousness that he has is now given to us. That's the only way that we can be reconciled to God. It's through what Jesus has done that he became sin and he gave to those who believe in him this, this ability to have the righteousness of God through him into their lives. See, this is the message that we are to be known for. The message that as followers of Jesus Christ, as ambassadors of Christ, that we are to proclaim into the world that God in Jesus is reconciling anyone, anyone who would come to him. God is reconciling people to himself. See, we as followers of Jesus Christ are to live as an ambassador of God in the world. An ambassador of Jesus in the world. 
that when people see our lives, they see Jesus. We're to be representations of God everywhere we go. See, there was a, a few years ago, we don't have them anymore, but a few years ago here at the church, we used to have two 15-passenger vans. And as the youth pastor for the last 11-plus years here at the church, I got to drive those 15-passenger vans a lot, all over the place. I got to drive them. They shake when you go over like over 55 miles an hour. That's why we don't have them anymore. And I remember there was one time, I don't remember where we were, where we had been, but we were coming back to church and we were right down here on the highway in the circle interchange. I don't know if you've ever been on there. It's literally, I think, the slowest stretch of highway in the USA, right? There is no going quick through there. But I, 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 I like to drive, and so I'm pretty aggressive in how I drive. You know, you, you got to be, especially when you're in this big 15-year-old passenger van. But, but it can be easy for me sometimes when I'm driving not to remember that I'm in this big old thing, that not only is a big old van, but on both sides, plastered in big old font says, The Moody Church. And so I don't know about you. I don't know if this is a sin or not. If it is, I confess it publicly in front of all of you. When I'm driving down the highway and someone cuts right in front of me, my initial reaction is just to be like, hey, that wasn't acceptable. Please don't do that again. Right? That, that was a little dangerous there. That was a little quick. You give them a little, a little honk, a little tap on the horn. Be like, hey, calm down there. And so here I am driving, coming through the circle interchange, when this guy, he doesn't just kind of, like, he straight up cuts me off. And my initial reaction is just hit the horn. Like, that was uncalled for. And I go, I'm representing the Moody Church <laughs> to Chicago. They all see the van. So I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to honk the horn because the last thing I want is for a phone call to come in and how rude the driver was on Saturday or whenever it was out on the highway. Because I knew in that moment that I represented something beyond myself and that people were watching. You represent Jesus to the world and people are watching. Your family is watching your life. So you're a Christian, so you go to church. Does that make any difference in your life, they think? How about when the conflict comes up? How about when disagreements happen? They're watching you. Is their life any difference? Because they're a follower of Jesus Christ. Your coworkers are like, man, you were out at church last night? That's crazy. And they're watching you. They're watching to see if your life is any different. If you're on this same endless cycle of trying to see fulfillment and value in your career, in your finances, in all the things that this world would say, or if your identity is placed somewhere else. You represent Christ into the world as an ambassador of Jesus, and people are watching you. When they see your life this week, Will they see Jesus? When they see us this week, will they see Jesus through us? Because we don't live our lives for ourselves anymore, but we are ambassadors for Christ, representing Jesus to the world. God, we thank you that through Jesus you have reconciled us to you. God, and we thank you that you have now given to us that same message to go out into the world to represent you. God, I pray that as we live our lives, as people see us, that they would see Jesus. They would see the love that God has for them. 
because of the love that we have for them. God, we pray that your spirit would empower us this week as we leave this place. We know we are sent into this world. May we represent you well as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.